Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontefract. Today, good friend, Jeanette Brunet. Jeanette, in 2004, oh, geez, uh, both your parents passed away of cancer. And after 20 years in the fashion business, leading teams to growth and innovation in both Denmark and the U.S., Jeanette, you decided to leave your career as a burned-out executive and you founded Path for Life to create awareness around how we can do great work without giving up our health or our joy. Integrating her business background in marketing, retail management, and team development with her studies in mindfulness, health, and well-being, Jeanette helps people reclaim agency over their work and lives by understanding themselves and having the tools to use their mindset to work for better or for to better themselves. In sum, Jeanette is rethinking self-care in the workplace as a foundation for peak performance, engagement, and a culture where people belong and work better together. Just I love that. Now, your new book, The Self-Care Mindset, Rethinking How We Change and Grow, Harness Well-Being, and Reclaim Work-Life Quality, is now available. It integrates your 20-year background in business, mindfulness, and health to deliver the care-driven framework, C-A-R-E. We're going to get into that. So all of us can take charge of our well-being as a foundation for both personal and professional growth. Jeanette, so great to see you. Let's get right into this. Um, there's a line, which is not just in your bio, but it's found in the book several times, which is, you know, you are urging us, the human beings of this world, to reclaim agency on our lives. So it's kind of like a two-part question to start. How are you defining agency and why do we need to reclaim it? Uh, thank you so much, Dan, for that question. I know that you would hone in on something that matters so much because I know that we are aligned in what we care about. So I'm excited for this conversation. And, um, you know, one of the things I found <clears throat> consistently when I was working with people over the years of uh, when I was coaching and also continuously in conversations with my audiences is that when we don't feel that we have agency in our own lives, that's when we're burning out. Mm. We tend to think we burn out from working too much, but we burn out from feeling we don't have power over our own lives or power in our own lives. And that sense of agency and reclaiming agency, being able to make choices, being able to navigate uncertainty, being able to handle the challenges that come our way. Those are the things that allow us to feel um, confident that we have that curiosity that it takes to keep that motivation and drive and engagement going. And when we don't feel we have agency, we sort of give up, mm. right? We sort of give up and we just say, all right, well, what I do, the tools I have, none of it works. I can't do it. I'm not able to do it. We get into this space of feeling we're not good enough to handle and navigate the situation in front of us. And we start you know, really getting getting worn out and is essentially burning out. And we feel like we're spinning our wheels here, not creating impact and not creating change and not being part of the solution that we would like to be part of at work. Because at the end of the day, we all want to feel like we matter. And so agency is that dual uh, sort of almost paradox, right? We want to have agency over our own lives and we want to feel that others connect and see and hear us and, and 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 we feel that we belong and and engage but it's really our agency in our everyday lives that feel that we have some sense of control over what i call the fud 
the fear, uncertainty, and doubt that otherwise seeps into our lives because it's all around us as it is. Well, there is a heck of a lot of FUD out there. And uh, one of the things you do in the book, before we get to the the care-driven framework, you make mention, Jeanette, that um, work-life quality is a, a very important point in the book and to make because you know, you've, you've basically subscribed to something that I also subscribe to, which is, you know, we need to stop focusing on work-life balance. In fact, you kind of almost suggest that that's not even relevant in this day and age. So again, kind of two-part question. So let's align the two here. What do you define work-life quality as these days? And then how does agency, and if we reclaim it, help support work-life quality? Hmm. Yeah. So for me, when we look at our three core relationships, which is ourselves, others, and work, we tend to divide that into how much time and energy we spend on each. Mm. That's how we define work-life balance, right? It's like, how much time do I spend here? How much time do I spend there? How much time do I spend on myself? And we're trying to navigate time and attention. And what I find is that our relationship with others is part of our self-care too. Spending time with others is part of what nourishes us as human beings. We need each other. We saw that during the pandemic, especially, right? We yeah. see that in a culture that works or doesn't work. And, and so this, this relationship with others is very much part of the relationship we have with ourselves. The relationship we have with work also is very much part of the relationship we have with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's why the self-care mindset is actually not something separate. It's what we do. It's more about who we are and how we think, engage, and act with those three core relationships all day long. Because what happens when we think of it as work-life balance, we're thinking of it as, oh, if I spend more time off, then I will have more balance in my life. Mm, That's not actually what ends up happening. And you know this very well, right? Because if we're feeling horrible and we don't feel that we're uh, successful at work, we're not going to go home and be happy and jolly. It, it, it seeps in. We can't stop worrying about something we care about. So when we go to work, we don't stop worrying about family members, for example. When we care about our job, we don't stop worrying about how we perform when we go home. So this idea that there is no boundary between work life anymore because we work from home or live at work, as some say, or because technology allows us to have constant contact with everything and everyone. If that's how we define it, we'll never win. But if we define it as work-life quality and therefore focus on how do we cultivate better relationships, meaning how do we see ourselves that we matter, we have agency in the workplace, we're starting to reclaim work-life quality instead. And therefore focusing on the quality of the relationships, the quality of the feedback, the quality of the communication and conversations in the workplace. That is what makes us feel that we are successful. It makes us feel that we thrive and it makes us go home and be able to forget about work and spend time with the people we care about without worrying about work. So there's these very um, fuzzy kind of relationships that that overlap so much that we actually need to see that when we talk about whole human and bring our whole human to work, a lot of people misunderstand that as saying you can be emotional at work. Well, no, I think it means more that we can see that 
everything we care about is part of being human. And everything we care about is part of us all the time. If it's not, we have gone numb, we're no longer engaging, and we're no longer motivated. And now we're also therefore depressed. And so these nuances about really understanding our human nature is all about what we care about and therefore what we worry about because that's two sides of the same coin. Hmm. That's where the work-life quality comes in. And that's why I believe that we need to learn how to have the tools to have more agency in our work and therefore also have more agency in general in our lives. You are uh, international by nature. You do a lot of work uh, internationally. Not only did you um, spend a lot of time in Denmark, but we're born there. So if I were to yep. pull from my compendium of uh, Soren Kierkegaard, one of his very famous quotes was, uh, to be that self which one truly is. And it dawned on me a little bit that uh, what you're getting at in terms of self-care and you know a, a better work-life quality and in and in in sort of I guess uh, alignment with that maybe a, almost like a Sartre free will comment here uh, backed up against Kierkegaard. If if we want to be ourselves or our true selves or to be that self which one truly is, how do we do that? <laughs> how do we do that in this age of where work it almost becomes central to many people's lives, and they're bringing that work as you've quite uh, rightly pointed out into the home. And then the home life. So whether that's, you know, you've just brought a baby home, you're caring for an elderly parent, you know, uh, there's a mortgage payment you just missed. You're bringing that into work. Like, help me unravel all of this if you can right now, Jeanette. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's, that's so much, you know, the reality of, of being human, right? That's the reality of our lives is that there, it is full of relationships. And mm. so if we're looking at that and looking from that perspective, that, that's where that care-driven or, or the care framework comes in. Because what does it mean to be true to ourselves? Does it mean that we react based on an in the immediate emotion? No, it doesn't. Mm. It means that we pause for a moment, come back home and check in with ourselves and say, hmm, how am I actually feeling in there right now? And what is it that I need so that I can show up in the way that I actually really want to relate, engage, respond with other people in my work and so on and so forth. And so this idea that being true to ourselves um, is emotional, it, it's, it's a nuance there because that means that we are checking in, but we're using that emotion as information. And so when I, in the, in the self-care mindset in the book, um, and in my work in general, I talk about our three parts of the self-care mindset, which is how we think, how we engage with ourselves by asking better questions, and therefore how we make choices, decisions, and show up in the world. Mm -hmm. And so those three parts is part of our physical, emotional, and mental well-being as well. So we, it's almost like it's a process. So we pause for that moment, and we're realizing, hey, how am I thinking right now? Am I being critical? Am I focusing on the problem? Or am I able to pause and allow my nervous system to calm down so I can focus on the potential? Mm. Then we can also engage with ourselves and be like, hey, how am I feeling? Am I feeling anxious about something? Am I nervous? Am I irritable? That's that FUD. Am I feeling fuddy right now? So am I going to react based on that, which then means defensive or aggressive or whatever it is that happens when we're not feeling in our grounded, centered you know, self? Or we can say, okay, if that's how I feel, what do I need so I can feel more confident, more uh, able, more 
patient, more whatever it is we're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. And so that nuance of truth coming home is, a, is that there's several questions in that, right? It's about how do we connect with what really matters and what we care about and realizing when we're running on fear or the cortisol perspective, as I call mm-hmm. it, Our mind is basically hijacked and we repeat the same questions over and over and over. We repeat what we always done and we're basically stuck in what I call the pothole. We're stuck in that pothole of problems. And all we can see is that we, we become wine otters, meaning we talk to ourselves in that. Why am I not able to that? Why am I not able to do that? Why does, why does this not happen? And then therefore those are the questions we will find the answers to why something isn't working. That's the definition of being stuck because that's not actually the real problem we're trying to solve. The problem we're trying to solve is how do I get over there aligned with what I care about and how can I then come back home? And you can argue that's part of that true, right? How do we find our truth? Like, what do we really care about? And it does take that moment. That's why I call it power pausing is to be like, wait, what am I really trying to achieve right now? Am I trying to be heard because I feel dismissed? Or am I trying to solve the problem and be an active, engaged party in 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 this way of thinking towards innovation? Like, do I I'm trying to put my skill forward, my way of thinking forward, my curiosity and creativity and courage, or am I defending myself over here because I just feel stepped on? Mm-hmm. Right. And so, having that truth is to say, "Wow, I just feel stepped on." How do I pause for a moment so I don't just react to that? But instead, how do I come back home? allow myself to be like, "Mm, that did not feel good. And I am going to voice that. But right now, this is what I need so that I can, whatever it is we're trying to solve. And so these nuances, it sounds potentially a little simple. It's just like, just ask that question instead of that question. So it's it's a little bit more science than that. It comes back to uh, what I learned when I was a uh, learning psychotherapy, uh, sorry, um, hypnotherapy, mm-hmm. where we're, you know, it's really that the questions we're asking ourselves becomes like self-hypnosis and it becomes what we focus on. And so when I talk about self-care and the self-care mindset, I talk a lot about the conversations we have with ourselves that impacts the conversations we have with other people and therefore the decisions we make. What I love as well is that you're suggesting that these are not habits to create, but they are indeed questions to ask. And it's those questions that give you the clarity ultimately, right, on where you're at, what you need to do, the gap in between, et cetera. So, so let's get into the framework then. So there, uh, it's an acronym for CARE. Uh, tell us a bit, first of all, on the first, the first letter, C, self-communication. What's, what's that all about in terms of the principle? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what we talked about a little bit now, right? Are we in that inner critic that's focusing on the problem, which is a pothole and focusing on how we're not able to, or good enough or included or whatever that, 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 that mindset is becoming where we're looking at what's not working, which often happens under stress. It's just a natural response. We look for what's not. And with that power pause, we can then say, okay, if I'm in my inner critic right now, what would it what would it sound like if my inner coach was talking to me? What would my inner coach say right now? And so we're using the inner critic as information yeah. to fuel the inner coach. So the nuance here isn't that we're trying to get rid of or ignore or 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 you know whatever people are trying to do with the inner critic, which is normally don't listen to your inner critic. I actually listen to the inner critic. I use it as information that, hmm, 
hmm, that's what you're nervous about. Oh, that's how you feel. Okay, let me use that to fuel my attention to get to where I'm trying to go. Because our intention fuels attention. So if our intention is what is not working, that's only what we're going to be focused on. If our intention is, ooh, this is not working. Let me figure out how to make it work. Now we're looking for that. So that's this self-communication. How do we harness that, which also becomes how we think? So how we think and how we talk to ourselves goes hand in hand. I, I suppose that it segues nicely to the to the second principle being self-aware, because if you're not self-aware, you certainly wouldn't be able to have a good conversation with yourself to point out some of the arbiters that you're alluding to. Yeah. Yeah. That's where, again, the power pause comes in. So in my work, the power pause is throughout, right? There is that uh, physical power pause. Hey, do I just need a break right now? Because I've been back to back to back. I need to go get some water. I need to stretch. My body is aching and so on and so forth. Or the emotional power pause, where we're tapping into our emotional, well, you can argue intelligence, but I think of it as more connecting to what we care about and what matters to us. Mm -hmm. And using that emotion, which is the self-awareness that we also talked a little bit about with the thud. Am I feeling this way? So one is, how am I thinking? How am I feeling? That's the self-communication, self-awareness. How am I feeling? And how am I, again, using that as information? We tend to think that our emotions are not welcome, but rather how if how about if we use them as information? Oh, I'm I'm really nervous about this. All right, don't be nervous about that, right? Like we, we talk like that to ourselves. Number one, that is a we we just nod it. We just say not nervous. So nervous is still hijacking our mind. So we're not gonna be able to just dismiss how we feel, but we can say, hmm, what is it about it that makes me nervous? What I what do I need so I can be more confident? So that's that awareness. We can use that to sense in and just checking in and get a handle on it. Not so much a label, but a handle. It could be, I feel really wary. I feel, I feel, you know, clammy and cold and windy in there. And that gives us information, but we have a tendency to want to make meaning out of things rather than building a relationship with ourselves. And so that's the self-awareness. So it can feel a little bit weird in the beginning, but we're trying not to label things that will create judgment but rather notice things creates curiosity and with that confidence that carries us forward. So with the, before we get to the, the, the third one is sort of being self-aware, you're almost cognizant of your own thinking and feelings before you take any action. You're just uh, yes. in essence. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Makes, yeah. Makes That's part of that, right. That's part of that power pause where we just pause for a moment. So a lot of times people think that I teach power pausing by taking more breaks that is part of it. But the real key to the power pause is to pause for just a moment. You know how when you're playing the good old days of playing music, or even when you pause something in the program, just pause it for a moment. You just let it linger, take a beat, and then you let it go again. You don't stop it completely and leave. Sometimes you need to. You need to disconnect. I'm not saying not to. But we need to pause throughout more. Even just a meeting where we're like, hmm, let me pause on that and think a little bit about how do I think about that? How am I feeling about that before I answer you? Like, can we create a culture where that's actually a positive rather than we have to pull an answer out of our backpack immediately because that makes us look good? But we might just be answering based on, you know, something we are scared of rather than solving the right problem. And I think that happens a lot, you know? I think you've done a wonderful job as well providing a... Uh 
a hat tip, if not kind of like a subliminal message on the front cover of your book to uh, to that particular point. <laughs> okay, self responsibility. The self responsibility. The third of the four. Tell us a bit about that. There you, exactly. See, I'm no dummy. I picked up on that. Um, so tell us about self responsibility. Then the third of four. A lot of times we give our power over because we explain away why we can't do something. Mm. So we might say, I can't um, get this done because I keep getting interrupted. Well, how do we take responsibility for that and say, right now my door is closed. Right now I'm not taking any meetings. Right now I need to get this done, for example. Or I need to take a walk before my next meeting because I just had a horrible situation and I need to process that before I can pay attention to the next thing. Instead, we just jump right into the next thing. And then we sit there and we feel, we, 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 we might feel that nobody's respecting us because we're feeling horrible from what just happened. And we right. assume that the other person knows what's going on and they don't, and we don't communicate that, which is the last part of the care framework, but that responsibility or, or, um, you know, as an example, in my book, there was a young leader who said, I don't get enough sleep because of my kids. And I thought he meant the kids don't go to bed early enough. And he was like, no, 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 it's not that. It's just that then I need to watch sports. And I was like, so wait a minute, you're arguing that you're not getting enough sleep because of your kids, but it's your choice that you're not getting enough sleep, which is okay. Yeah. Just yeah. make it your choice because then you're feeling more empowered by it. But we tend to give over our power by explaining why we can't do something because of our commitment to other people, which brings us back to self-care is really we care, right? Yeah, we yeah. care together. And so other people are such part of it. So we, but we tend to give away our responsibility instead of saying, what do I need so that I can do this? And how do I figure out how to, how to get that? How do I get my needs met? And sometimes that is asking other people for help. And sometimes it is just to figure out where can I plot that into my schedule? But for example, all day long, I will look at my schedule when I start in the morning and I, start, and I will go through the day and say, okay, what do I need so that I can be present to the next meeting? What do I need so that I have the energy to get through a really stacked up day? What do I need so that I can? And I will take responsibility for those small, tiny, tiny things that I can do rather than saying, oh, well, I have a busy schedule. I, I can wait. No, I can't. Right. And the people that are, that are going to experience me not at my best to serve me at my best and do so do i right That's because this is all about relationships yeah well you've brought up a really good point because you you make mention in the book several times that we don't self-care alone and there's almost a reciprocity that you're alluding to there as well right because yeah. you're sort of yeah. suggesting look i got to be in charge of me but there is a greater yeah. we that we all have to uh, keep in mind. Is that, that fair? Yeah. 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 And if your attention is somewhere else, you're not listening to the person in front of you. Mm -hmm. If you're hangry, you're going to be short because you just want to stop and not listen anymore. Yeah. You know, like there's so many of these small things that we are like just pushing ourselves through every day and they show up in our relationships. They show up in how we engage and interact, and they show up in how we make decisions. We cut corners when we're tired. We cut corners when we're hangry. When we're distracted, we don't actually ask, is there more that I need to know before I make this decision? And we make rash decisions. So there's a lot of nuances here that shows up in performance, and it goes back to really basic stuff. And it's so basic that we've forgotten how important 
it is. And we focus so much on these higher skills. I'm so glad uh, I had a banana before our interview today. Now, the the fourth of the four of the acronym CARE is to have self-expression. So uh, that might be um, the the more uh, creative, I suppose, right? So tell us, bring us back down to what do we mean expression when it relates to being uh, self-cared? Mm-hmm. It could mean many things. It could be that we tell somebody, listen, I'm going through a hard time. Um, can we, is, is it possible to change the deadline? I have some caregiving uh, that I need okay. to do with my elderly. Can, can, can you help me out with this? Because I need some support on this. And really asking for help instead of just assuming that people know what we need or we don't ask for it. And then we're like, you know, working odd hours to, to achieve something. And maybe it isn't possible. But then we can say, okay, fine, what do I need so that I can still make this happen? Mm -hmm. But if we don't ask for what we need, nobody's going to know what that is. And that creates this lack of support at work, which is essentially what we're looking for. See, we want agency, but we also want support. And we cannot get support if we don't ask for it. But that also comes back to recognizing as a leader to ask people, hey, what do you need so that you can succeed right now? Or what do you need so you can get this done on time so that people know that they are they are able to ask for it? And then the other part of this is also, as you as you were expressing there, can we become more creative and courageous? Because once we feel safe, once we feel we're being heard and included, once we feel we have agency, we can use our voice to create impact. And that is where that self-expression of like, oh, wait a minute, I actually, I'm feeling confident right now. I'm going to go for it and suggest this idea that I would otherwise never suggest because I was, I was all fudded up. Well, I guess, you know, at the end of the day, we all have to vouch for ourselves. You are, you are uh, administering our own agency to be expressive in our own self-expression, right? To say, look, these are my needs. If I don't have a little me time or whatever you want to call it, then I'm going to fall apart. So it's actually apt yeah. to be the final of yeah. uh, the four in the care principle. Yeah. yeah. And, and that also comes back to saying, for example, if, if, if you're running late for five minutes, but then say to something, instead of just saying, hey, I'm running late, say, listen, can I have five minutes because I really need to gather my thoughts so mm-hmm. that I can be present to our meeting? That is a complete way of communicating what I need. Because it affects, it it shows the other person that respect of, I, I, I respect your time and I'm going to therefore show up at my best self for our meeting. But that means I need this so that I can do that. And having that place and having that kind of a culture where we can be, you know, truthful enough, transparent enough, authentic enough to, to ask for what we need. Because we're asking for what we need, not because we're needy, but because we want to succeed and be, you know, high performers. Yeah. And uh, our best selves, if you will. Okay. My, yeah. um, Jeanette, my penultimate question before we find out uh, where to find out more about you. I have been for the past year or a bit um, become quite alarmed with the number of research studies from uh, Deloitte, uh, McKinsey, Vizier, et cetera, that, that showcase just an absolute staggering growth in the burnout uh, crisis that's 
enveloping not just North America, but really the Western world. And so everyone should pick up a copy of the book, obviously. But tell us a bit about what do you think's going on? Why why is this occurring? And just you know your insights based on you know your expertise and been in this business now twenty plus years. So I'm just curious what if you're seeing what I'm seeing and and what you make of it. Mm. Yeah, I think there's many layers to that. Um, I think the 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 core is what you just started out asking me about today. You completely honed in on that. You said. Tell me more about having agency because the frustration that happens, not feeling that we matter, not feeling heard, not feeling that we're, that our needs are being met, even the basic ones, that, that is where we're starting to burn out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said earlier, we don't burn out from working too much. We burn out from worrying too much. And, and so this, this is a nuance that I think is really, really important is to understand that um, if we keep thinking about burnout from the perspective of working too much, we're missing a core essential problem, which is how we treat people, how we care about people, not just for people. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons why I talk about a well-being culture is a culture um, of care and in a culture that's work-life quality is because if we're thinking that a well-being culture is going to prevent burnout because we have resources that people can use, those are important and essential, but that is not keeping us from burnout. It is using the resources, changing the conversation and nourishing and nurturing the relationships that we have at work that helps us feel that there is a sense of uh, psychological safety, that there's a sense of I, I, I matter. Mm-hmm. So there's a nuance here between caring for people and caring about people that's essential. If people don't feel cared about, it all falls apart. If they just feel cared for, it's not going to last. And so we need to take it to that next level where leaders, where teams have enough of that, um, you can call it conversational agency perhaps, but that ability to hold these conversations from a place of curiosity and care. When you see the the care framework, it, it, it boils into the care framework for ourselves, the care framework around how we engage with curiosity, acknowledgement, empathy, and uh, sorry, um, respect and empathy. And then it shows up as a culture that is um, courageous, that is agile, that is resilient, and that has a sense of equity. So the care framework sort of is a ripple effect that goes through because self-care is at the core of things, but it's always interconnected with all the other relationships at work. And so the burnout I think is because we're misunderstanding what truly drives people, which is the human relationship and the human connection. Jeanette, I care about you. You had me at hello. Uh, thank you so much for much uh, for this, for the self-care mindset book. Where can we find out more about the book? You obviously. Yes. On my website, jeanettepone.com, there is all kinds of different resources and the blogs and whatever you might want to learn more about the book. But of course, you can also find the book anywhere books are sold. So 
go to your favorite bookstore or go online. It's 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 to be found. And my name is uh, you can't miss it. I don't think anyone else in my in the world has my name. So and I'm everywhere on social media under that very same name. Isn't that uh, uncanny? Well done. Well, uh, it's been a pleasure discussing with you, not just the book itself, but just your principles on what you believe is going to help society. Uh, I truly believe that you're one of those people that are putting the word human in humanity, and we need more Jeanette Bronades in this world. So thank you so much. Uh, Look forward to our next one. Folks, thanks for listening in again to another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontefract today, Jeanette Bronet. The self-care mindset, rethinking how we change and grow, harness well-being and reclaim work-life quality. Thank you, Jeanette. May the pause be with you.